Welcome to On, Cultivating Student Engagement in Higher Education. I'm the new host, Lauren Kelly, an instructional designer in UDIT Academic Technology Services. This reimagined podcast provides teaching perspectives related to instructors and students, but with a shift toward how technology and innovation add value to the teaching and learning practice. Expect to become better acquainted with support services available to you regardless of your course modality. Welcome to part two of this episode. We continue with our faculty panel with conversational stories about their top two challenges teaching large classes, their course design and delivery strategies for helping them address these unique challenges, and how they work to develop learning communities. Happy listening as they continue to share their experiences. And don't forget to tap into part three for the rest of their stories about navigating large lecture classes. It kind of makes me think about you teaching these large lecture sections semester after semester. And Agnes, you alluded to some of this, right? Where you're like, it's different all the time. Like everything's different, right? So every semester is different. Since the pandemic, things are different. You have a different classroom every single semester. You have different student needs every semester. Mental health is on the rise now more than ever. There are more accommodations that are being disclosed by students now. So things have really, really changed. So taking all of this into consideration, what would you say are the top two challenges that you face as a facilitator of large lecture classes? There's a lot of challenges. And I would say that my first one is going back to that idea of like anonymity, the idea that students are one in a mass of a sea of faces. I do a, like before the first day of class, student info form is what I call it. And when I ask them just like, what concerns do you have or things that you're thinking about? Most of them say something like, I've never been in this large of a classroom before. I'm worried about how accessible you are or how things are going to go when I'm like a mass in, in a mass of students. So that's like the number one thing, you know, that that sea of faces mentality. So I try to be really present and accessibility kind of way of like phrasing my syllabus that we're in this learning community together, that we really do learn when we're together. It's not it's not only this individualistic kind of experience, like part of it is like talking things out, how I present things in my syllabus, how I introduce the class, I try to give that idea of like how accessible I am, and also to provide different avenues for them to reach me. So I think traditionally, it's like you ask questions in a class, or you come to my office hours, which I call my open help hours, right, to make it more clear, like what it's for, it's for you to come get me for help. But I also try to do like they do reflections every week. And in those reflections, they get to report on like things that they find challenging or problems that they're having or anything like that. And that's one way for them to share something with me that I'm struggling or that I'm doing good or whatever it is. And I have TAs that help with those outreach efforts to write semi-personalized messages for students like, hey, it seems like you're struggling with X. Like, here are some resources. Come see us. Every once in a while, I do these extra credit assignments that are like a check-in with me, kinds of extra credit assignments. And I, I scan through them and I you know, write back to the students who report something that I feel like, you know, it warrants a little bit of outreach. It's a lot of time, but it's like to give them all these avenues to share the things they would not otherwise. Um, But it's really difficult, right? Because they're trying to tell you things. Some people tell you things over email. Some people tell you things in the reflections. Some people tell you things in the submission comment on Canvas. So it's really hard to navigate when you open up more opportunities as the person who receives those, it's hard to navigate and compile them. But when I have a good teaching team of like other TAs who are on the ball and work with me well, then that obviously goes better. The second thing is flexibility. 
I always talk about this as like two sides of the coin. The same thing that's wonderful about teaching Psych 100 or general psych is the diversity of my students, like everything they bring to the table, like all of the different perspectives, all of the different interests and, and just who they are. But at the same time, there are also many different people that you're trying to teach. And so they have so many competing demands. So how do you build in flexibility, but also structure, right? So like, how do you navigate that balance where I want structure, structure helps when there's so many of us with expectations and and things like that. But at the same time, because you're so unique, you have so many challenges. How do I also give you that opportunity to be, to miss things or to make mistakes and to ask for accommodations, even if you don't have official accommodations, that flexibility. Flexibility is hard to navigate. It is also like the core of how my course works is how to be flexible. But I think that flexibility plus this like common misconception that psychology is just like this easy thing. Like I'm a human. I know about psychology things. So I'll pass my tests. So that flexibility that Dr. Lee is willing to work with me, which is a good thing, but plus that misconception then leads many students to misperceive that the class doesn't require any work that I can just understand it just by hearing it. Now I'm going to fully recognize that all of my students have different motivations. Not everyone needs an A or wants an A, but it's like when they're really surprised by it, they're like, they come into your office and they're like, I failed this test. And I thought psychology was easy. So I didn't study at all, but I failed it. How could that be? So it's one of those kinds of situations where, (laughs) you know, it's a little difficult. Yeah, Agnes, I 100% can relate to everything that you've shared. I share such, you know, similar concerns and I'm still figuring out how to navigate them. I completely agree that one of my challenges also is, first of all, having a teaching team is great. But then on the flip side of it, you have to maintain the logistics, right? And make sure that the entire instructional team is on the same page. And that's definitely been something I had to learn how to do well. So in my case, I have a whole team of undergraduate TAs. I call them peer leaders who help me with the course. And, you know, I have to make sure that I'm communicating well with my team about expectations and also really listening to them and being available to them to help troubleshoot any concerns that they are seeing with the students because they are the ones who are really talking to the students one-on-one. So that's my top challenge. The other challenge is active learning. How do I make sure that the students, when they come to this large lecture, they have once a week? How do I make sure that A, they're showing up, they're feeling motivated to show up and that they're having a good time. They're actually be able to learn in such a large space. And me talking at them is not really going to do it 100%. So we have to help them navigate that. The other challenge that I have specifically with my course is the fact that it's the first engineering course that they're taking, right? It's introduction to engineering. I I would love for all my students to have a good time with that because we want them to enjoy the experience so that they can persist in engineering. We want them to have a good experience. And when I say we, I mean, it's, you know, not just me as the instructor of the course, but the entire college is really invested in the students. And 
that's a struggle that I have to manage because A, it takes a lot to manage 700 students and the instructional team and keep everyone on the same page. But B, there's also all these competing learning objectives. I have to provide a survey of all the engineering disciplines. I have to provide the first year experience topics in a manner that isn't just lip service because I truly believe that these topics are important. And also give them a solid team-based engineering design experience. That's a part of the course too. And all of this needs to be accomplished within two credits. So that's really been my big challenge is like balancing the different, the, the competing almost interplays between these different course learning objectives and making sure that the logistics rolling smoothly as once the semester starts. Wow, it sounds like there are a lot of competing challenges, but I heard a lot of themes across what both of you were sharing as far as your challenges go. Lindsay also offered that she also struggles with that challenge to stress the importance of students being present in class, like physically present. And she also touched on a struggle of helping students feel seen. And Agnes, I think you alluded to this with the accessibility piece where students have access to you where they feel seen. Um, you also kind of talked about your course structure and that kind of management piece. And Arita, I think you did that too, where you're talking about just managing the physical space with all of these students and what can active learning actually look like. And then more importantly, I'm surprised Lindsay didn't mention this, but just this whole concept of coverage of content over the stretch of time that you have all of these students, because I would imagine that, you know, they're different competency levels, right? So in real time, you know, when you're teaching online, it's different. You don't have to recalibrate in real time in front of students. If a student says, hey, I'm stuck and I don't understand this particular concept, I have time to regroup. I have time to pull things together and then work with just that individual student. Where in real time, if you're in the physical environment, live with all of your students and you have these sets of students that don't understand, but then you need to move on because you have these milestones and these benchmarks based on where you should be in the semester, that could be really tricky. We touched on it a little bit when we talked about structure and some some things that you offer as far as consistency, but let's really get into more of the structure of your courses when you're working with large lecture sections. And what I mean by that more specifically is describe your course design kind of techniques or strategies, course delivery, and how this helps you to address those unique challenges that you just finished talking about in terms of the sheer numbers of students that you are working with each semester. When I think about a course, and this is for any course even, I think about overarching themes that I want to go over across the semester because I want to be able to weave it in so that there's always this consistent thematic experience, even though we're talking about different topics. You know, yes, we are breath courses, which means that we have to cover a lot of different topics, but I want them to see those topics not as like these isolated blocks that exist by themselves, but that they all work together to really help us understand what it means to be a human. So I have to structure the topics to allow room for those themes to come back. But I also have to structure like the, the pacing and like maybe the order of those topics so that the thematic looping or the thematic structure makes sense. So that's like a very big picture thing I think about when just thinking about the topics I'm going to cover and how I'm going to teach my students about 
really what are some underlying themes that like should pop up so that you will realize a theme for the course without me saying this is a theme for the course, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The other thing I think about too with large lecture plus first year students is that means that most of them, especially in the fall semester, and this is Harita's experience too, like right, they're coming into college brand new. They're coming into UD specifically brand new. They may not have used something like Canvas before, and that could be brand new for them. So my first week is always a practice week. For everything that we're going to do in this course, we're going to do a practice quiz. This is what a quiz looks like. We're going to do, I use Peruse all four discussions, and here's a practice one where you read the syllabus and you comment on the syllabus. So everything is practice, and I incentivize it as not credit, don't worry about like, knocking down your grade at this point. I just want you to push all the buttons in perusal. Like that's literally what I want you to do. So it's all extra credit. It's required. You should do it. You have to do it. However, it is just purely extra credit for having done it. No matter what score you got or no matter how well you did on the practice quiz, it's like one point of extra credit. And then the second week, a big emphasis in my class now and as a part of something known as the foundational course initiative at the University of Delaware is to have an entire module on learning how to learn. So I call it my skills for success module. In that second week, we talk about what does it mean to really learn? What are the strategies to be successful? And what does that look like? And the nice thing about psychology is I can very nicely tie that into co psychological concepts like memory and tension. And then we move into like the more traditional textbook kind of content where every week, same pattern of assignments. So every week you do a perusal discussion, you do check your understanding CYU quizzes and um, a reflection. So every week has the exact same structure, exact same deadlines. Deadlines always have a 24-hour grace period in which you can turn stuff late. We still accept it. There's also extension requests, you know, that they can do. Um, so I have within a unit before an exam, anytime during that unit, they can do an extension request, but the exam is considered the firm deadline. So then the next unit, you could do everything by pattern, but when life happens, extension requests will be reviewed until the next firm deadline, the next exam. So that's how I build in some of that flexibility, but also structure. Because when you have so many people, you need the structure. Even even the same pattern doesn't always work for everybody. CYU quizzes are always due Saturday night. It's been the case for all semester. When are CYU quizzes due again? So even with that pattern, you know, it's struggle for some students. So if I don't even have that pattern, forget it. And so all of these assignments, what they're asked to do in these assignments match onto in that skills for success module, we talk about what it means to learn. And we talk about something called the learning cycle. So that means reviewing the material in slightly different ways to really solidify that in your memories. So I'll, I'll, like the CYU quizzes are multiple choice. The perusal discussions are open-ended questions. In class time, we do a mixture of open-ended questions and multiple choice questions. So always bringing it back to that learning cycle in my class. Because I value that collaborative nature, my exams have a very unique structure, actually. They do an individual component that's all done on Canvas, online, and then they come back to class, the next meeting, class meeting, and we do a collaborative stage of the exam. And it, those two stages allow them, one, to what can you do on your own? I'll open note, I'll open like anything in the course, but you have to do it on your own and you have to not use anything outside of course materials. And I, I, I just basically have to trust them on that. In order to build flexibility for those exams, I can't lock things down. 
I can't do like a really little time period when it's open. I tell them I'm trusting you. I am trying to build this community. I want you to learn. So, I mean, that's risky sometimes when I talk to other people about it. They're like, oh, it's so, it's going to be everywhere. And I do do find my questions on, you know, those lovely websites. uh, But for the most part, my averages haven't changed too much in my courses. And then the collaborative one has the opportunity for them to chat it out, talk to each other, do a consensus version. That collaborative stage could raise your grade, but it can never decrease your grade. So those are all the ways in which I structure my course um, to build in that flexibility, to build in that structure, but to also give them small contact points, but big contact points and all the other little things that we all do when we design our courses too. Yeah. And you're also building trust in between that. I think that's pretty clever. Agnes, I loved hearing about your Uh, course structure. And, you know, I know I have shared with you before that I love picking your brain about how to run these large, large lectures. So like Agnes mentioned, I think the predictable weekly structure is really important. I mean, I think it's important for any course, but it's especially important in large enrollment courses. So like Agnes shared, I also have a predictable weekly structure for my course. Module for the upcoming week is released on Fridays, the week before. There is a once a week large lecture meeting. And, you know, that is in the large auditorium space. In lieu of a second meeting, the students meet in smaller groups of uh, discussion groups. I've mentioned previously that I have um, a cater of peer leaders. There is one peer leader for every 25 students in my class. Basically, I have 28 peer leaders and then I have two additional TAs. I call them lead TAs to kind of help with the logistics, help answer questions that the peer leaders themselves may have. Essentially, I have this hierarchy of peer leaders, lead TAs, and then myself. We are all part of a team uh, running this course. That instructional team is key towards my course design. The predictable weekly structure involves um, releasing recorded lectures on the Canvas, the learning management. There's a once a week meeting, as I mentioned, and a once a week discussion section that the students are required to go to. We've discussed this before in our conversation that it's hard for students to fully absorb the material in the classroom. I've realized that it, you know, the didactic delivery is best done in a space where the students can revisit the in, uh, the material. All of my video lectures have video quiz, embedded quizzes inside of them, and these serve as formative assessments for my students. So the quizzes are not timed. They can watch the video. They could really honestly take the quiz anytime in the semester. So if, you know, if life happens and they're not able to watch that week's lectures, they can do that later in the semester and do the quizzes then and still get full credit for that. There's also a formative assessment that is done in the discussion sections. So again, this is a required, this is a way for me to make sure that the students are attending the discussion sections. Now, a big piece of my course that I think is different from Agnes's course is that there is a large component of team-based learning in the course. 80% of my assessments are related to team-based you know, submission. And this is because team-based projects are really important in engineering. So we're trying to give them that flavor in their introductory engineering class. You know, other than the team-based work, the students have a bi-weekly reflection similar to what Agnes shared from from her classroom. 
And there's usually a prompt associated with it, something in connection with that first year experience topic. And the students can kind of reflect on those discussions that that I do in the classroom related to the FYE topics. I have a weekly talk show that I do in my classroom. It's called Fresh Egg. So the course number is EGGG101. So egg 101. So this is called Fresh Egg. I love it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's basically a glorified Zoom recording. What is nice about it is that it's my opportunity to bring in alumni and other faculty members, staff members. Generally, like, you know, the College of Engineering community is represented in these Fresh Egg episodes. And I try to tie some of these topics, like, for example, academic honesty. We talk about what that entails, but also tying it, say, to engineering ethics and the oaths you take as an engineer. So we're trying to build connections between the various topics that we're doing within the Intro to Engineering course. My summative assessments, I don't have exams. It's the semester project that the students are working on. So the weekly assignments that the students do serve as scaffolding for that semester project that the students are building towards. And at the end of the semester, we have a large design showcase in the Trabant University Student Center. There's a large poster session. Students get to show off what they've been working on in their teams uh, through the semester. So everything that we do is kind of building up towards that large design showcase that's open to the public. Essentially, you know, to, to kind of summarize everything I said, and also to agree with many of the things that Agnes shared, the weekly structure is really important. Really thinking through the formative assessment opportunities for the students and also thinking about how you can make those summative assessments helpful and less stressful for the students. Building in flexibility where you can is really important. And then in my case, I really could not do this course without my peer leaders. So I spend a lot of time and effort in training my peer leaders and really helping them be successful because successful peer leaders means successful students in my course. Both of you, you're doing so many wonderful things in your course, as far as course design, course delivery, ensuring that your students are successful, regardless of the fact that it's so many students during the semester. There are some highlights that I wanted to point out across both of you that are just really amazing. The fact that for Agnes, you build in kind of that skill set thing and like success right at the very beginning. Haritha, you already have it embedded with first year experience as a component of that course. This is really awesome. A lot of faculty don't do this and don't really understand sometimes the value and the importance of it. And that if you're helping students recognize the importance of that that executive functioning and those skills now that's helpful for them in the workforce that's that's helpful in life right we need time management we need to know how to prioritize and stay organized those things are so so important the other piece that i really appreciate is the ethics component academic honesty i'm running into so many situations now and I don't know if it's safe to say since the pandemic, but I'm finding more students are just being more risky where they are just taking these really bold opportunities to just cheat and just say, well, I was busy or, oh, I was stressed out because I needed this grade. So that's why I did it. And that's supposed to make it okay. 
also Lindsay connected in as far as alumni. She has those guest speakers come in in the field as well to talk to students about that. So I think that's really awesome that across social sciences and STEM, you all are doing a lot of the same things for your large lecture courses. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I think it's really valuable information for faculty that might be new to teaching large lecture sections, as well as our seasoned faculty that might not have tapped into some of the things that you're doing in your classes. You've been listening to part two of this series, where my guests shared their top two challenges teaching large lecture classes, their course design and delivery strategies to help them address these unique challenges, and how they also work to develop learning communities. Be sure to listen to the final part of this series, part three. And if you like what you heard, please make sure you subscribe. On is where you can always expect to gain ideas from our brilliant guests who will sprinkle their innovative strategies to help you add a little seasoning to your course design. Thanks so much for listening. 